0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: Yo, know, it's good, everybody? Happy Friday. We made it. We're at the end of the week. And to be honest with you, hasn't this week seems like it's going fast, right? It's not just me. Yeah, it's going by pretty fast,
0: man. I mean, we're back at it again. You know, it feels like I was just talking to you yesterday, but it's a couple days ago now.
1: I know, yeah, but if you re-listened to the show yesterday, then you were technically still talking to me yesterday. There you You go. For anybody listening, I hope your Friday started off great. I hope you're on the way to somewhere fun, not on the way to work. Unless work's fun for you, at which point, kudos, I'm jealous. Well, actually, I'm not, because work's fun for me too, but hey, I'm not going to brag. I'm joined, as usual, just to start. I am your host, Mr. Adam Taylor. I am joined by my co-host, my compadre, my partner in crime, Mr. Will Weir. I'm going to have to say, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, hit that share button. If you're not watching on YouTube and you don't want to watch on YouTube, just go ahead and press that subscribe button anyway. Why not? Well, if you can see one on the screen, it does say Will Bun, but it's Will Weir. I keep messing it up constantly. <laughs> we're, we're both in the beanie gang today. I've got myself beanie Beanie boys beanie in on. the house today
0: on a Friday. What's going on, man? As I'm, we were talking off air. I'm digging your beanie you got here. You got the, you got the Celtics black and white beanie going and... You know, we, that, that kind of got us on a conversation about, you know, the, the Celtic style on the court. Now, off the court, I'm digging the style you got going on. Old man rant for a second while we get started. Get the regular uniforms back. I just want my traditional Celtics uniform.
1: End of old man rant. Well, let me just start by saying I've got the matching, like, sweater top to, to the hat. So like um, all I need now is the matching pants because you can buy the matching pants, and then I got the full set. Um, in terms of like the jerseys and stuff, I'm a bit different to you. Like I'm kind of cool with whatever jerseys they're wearing. Uh, I really I do like the new ones with like the the name at the bottom in that white bit. I know you're not really a fan. You kind of just want to go back to the the traditional Celtics jerseys. Start with you know these meant to be. Like you said to me before we started, it's not that they have like an official jersey anymore. They just have four alternates that they kind of just yeah. fit between when they feel like it.
0: It's, it's not even like, yeah, it's not even like they have a standard Jersey now because they're wearing them for 10 games a year, along with the other five uniforms that, that were rotating through. And, you know, for me, this is, I, I am very much a traditionalist in this sense. Like there's a handful of teams for me where it's like the Celtics, you know, people don't want to hear a the Yankees uniform, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, you there's certain traditional uniforms that are really, embody you know certain teams that are as as the way that they're tied to their particular sport they just have great uniforms like they don't need to be changed up but when you're the oklahoma city thunder or you're the miami heat or you know the the charlotte hornets then bobcats and back to hornets like go ahead do whatever the hell you want like like go ahead and change it up you know go ahead and get your miami vice on go go do you know rainbow fridays or or whatever, whatever that whatever color scheme you want to go with but when you have a tradition that works and so steep and even the lakers fall into this category you know i think the lakers uniforms are awesome as well like you don't need to continue to do all these gimmicks. i get a couple a year but at this point like you're saying it's it's just out the window as far as even just having the traditional jerseys and i don't know it bothers me every time i turn on the
1: game and i never see those jerseys anymore yeah you gotta make that money though right like if you fry out more different brand like iterations of the jersey then, that's, then it's then all you- about the money baby Got more chance people are gonna like one of five than they are one yeah. of two. You know what I mean? No, I get it. I get it. I'm just like I said, there's an old, there's an old man take from your boy here. I mean, what was that Miami jersey? There was one. I don't think it was last season. I think it was the year before where they went first went to that Miami Vice type style, mm-hmm. and uh, it was so fire, dude. Like no, like that um, one was dope. It was it, yeah. it was
0: great. It was great. Like like I said, they, they can they can work. And like I'm not in general opposed to alternate jerseys. I just hate when they lose their complete, like, when they, when they lose their value as, as a sense of, like, they're not even the standard jerseys anymore, which is where I kind of feel like we're at.
1: Yeah, and I mean, jerseys have got mad expensive anyway. Like, I remember being able to go pick up a jersey my money, like, 45 pounds, maybe 50 pounds at a push. Now I'm talking for, for a good jersey, I'm talking 160, 170. Like, have they've, they've gone straight through the roof in terms of pricing, and then you look at the quality of them in terms of, like, the designs and stuff. And it, and this is the thing, right? They're charging so much for them now that if you don't really love that jersey, like that, that design and the name on the back is exactly how you want it to be, you're not going to go out and pay like nearly 200 pounds or $200 for a jersey. Why would you do that? It makes no sense. So giving people more options does make sense to me. I mean, my buddy went to Canada about eight years ago and um, randomly texted me like, yo, they've got a, um, a Bill Russell Hardwood Classic Jersey, um, you know, like proper, all authentic, yeah. all the tags and everything in the NBA store, it's on sale $60. I'm like, yo, I PayPal'd him on the spot, like, hit me <laughs> that up, bring that back. Um, when I'm looking now, they're like nearly $200, like, the, the oh, yeah. is... they're
0: crazy expensive. I haven't bought a jersey in years.
1: I'm, I'm just like, yeah, they are mad expensive. I've really got, and this is my point, I need to love it to buy it, mm-hmm. and I can see why they're putting out so many versions, but I get your point as well, like you still want to look at the team and be like, this is their main jersey. If I buy this one, it's going to work for the next eight to 10 years because this is what they wear and this is who they are. And at the moment, you just don't have that. So there's no continuity, which kind of matches the way they play. So, so you know, I mean, things are working out quite well. Five jerseys, five different types of basketball. You never know what you're going to get every time you turn the TV on. Ranging from almost good. No, while ranging from very good to mediocre at best, we've got the jerseys matching the play. Unfortunately, they're not matching the jerseys with how they're going to play. Because if you turn the on, you're like, they're wearing a mediocre jersey today. It's going to be a rough one. You'd be <laughs> all right with that, right? But sometimes you're like, man, they're wearing their fire jersey. It's going to be... And then just like, oh, man, another stinker. So uh, it's tough, man. They need to figure out how to match their level of play to the jersey they're wearing. I think we're on to something here.
0: Yeah, I think th- I think we may have cracked the code here. Uh, as to as to what you're gonna get with the Celtics when you turn them on, but the prop you know, delight. That is, <laughs> there you go, man. Use that <laughs> use that for your next article. I'm telling you, dude. <laughs> but no, man. I mean, I think you know using and let's let's, let's talk about last night's game for a little. Because last night's game, it was it it was it was, a, it, was it was a game. <laughs> you know, it wasn't wasn't a very pretty game, but was it was it a game? game nonetheless. And you know, it, despite it being a Let's call it an unpleasant game to watch. It just kind of was. It didn't, you know, minus the first six minutes or so. It was a pretty unpleasant game to watch. But selva got a win, man. They got a win, and it's a much-needed win. And sometimes, at the end of the day, a win is a win is a win.
1: No, I don't agree. No, I don't agree. No, I, I have feeling
0: I, you wouldn't, so let's do it. No, <laughs> I
1: agree. I agree. Look, to this point, to your point, winning is winning. I always go back to I'm a big Fast and Furious guy, if I don't think I've ever told you that. Big Fast and Furious guy. um, Mainly because, yep, I love that first one, love the second one. I like the interlude between the two, if anyone's ever seen that little five-minute interlude. And ever since then, I'm like, if you start something, you have to get through to the end of it. So I've watched them all the way through. And it doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile, winning's winning, right? That's the the one saying that Mm -hmm. Toretto's saying. So I get that. Makes perfect sense to me. You win, it's a W on the board, your record reflects the W. Six or seven games down the line, we're not even going to remember how bad they played. It's just going to be they beat the Sixers, right? So I get it. But my argument is, and there's going to be a lot of people that disagree with me here. There'll probably be some people that do agree. Basketball is still meant to be a form of entertainment, first and foremost. The reason these people get paid so much money to play the game is because it's entertaining, people spend money to go and watch, and they like, you ride the highs and lows with the team. So there's always going to be a couple of games a year where where you have to muddy it up and it has to be a tough win. And, you know, the, the, the Sixers game was exactly that. It was a predicated muddy win. It just had to be what it was. But to be so awful that to the point where I was like, I genuinely don't feel like this is an NBA game at moments. Like there were times that obviously it was. And there was others where I was like, man, this is really, really bad to watch. And then for a to be like, I'm not going to apologize for an ugly win. Like, I get that. Don't apologize to, to anyone that watched from home. We had a TV remote, we could turn it off if we didn't like it. But for the people in the garden, you need to be offering them like a, a new ticket, man, because what they saw was real, real bad. I'd be upset, man. If I flew all the way from England and that was the game that I got given, um, I'd, I'd need answers. Well, let me offer you a counterpoint to this because I
0: I get what you're saying I I totally do and it's I mean that's how I literally transitioned us into this topic is last night was relatively unpleasant to watch so I I, I totally get what you're saying but the counterpoint to that would be what if last night was a, a you know a a more a more pleasant game to watch let's say the score was you know one seventeen to one fifteen but the Celtics lose now are you still singing that same tune? Or are you more happy as a fan that went and paid a ticket that you got to see, you know, let's say that we're talking here hypothetically about a Celtics fan. You got to see your favorite team come away with a victory, even though it wasn't the prettiest thing. Because I would argue that that would be
1: my preferred outcome. So the analyst in me loves the games where it's muddy. And I can look at what defensive coverages are working, the alterations that go through each aspect. So from like an analyst side of things where I have to, you know, I watch every game at least twice. I have my notebook where I keep all the plays I think are cool. The analyst in me, I'm fine with winning ugly. I am. But from like when I take that step back and I'm like, as a fan, as a casual fan, not even a diehard fan, just a casual fan that, you know, he's on a trip to Boston or he's just introduced to basketball and that's the game you choose to watch. I'm like, that's not great, dude. Sometimes like in terms of like, fandom sometimes people might prefer to lose sexy than win ugly me personally i like the ugly wins as much as i like the good wins but i do think that that was a real tough game to kind of like imagine trying imagine sitting with a buddy that's like man you watch basketball all the time let me see what this is all about and then they watch that they'll be like man why would you watch basketball? that's not making me watch soccer and the scores like <laughs> it ends up tied at zero zero so i don't watch soccer
0: well, that's it was, why you give that guy. That's why you give that guy a drink. You know what I mean? You give him something else to do as well. You know, there's there's an additional activity to what you're doing. So they find they find the silver lining and still get a win. That's mean, that's how you, you solve that problem.
1: You intoxicate the guy. You, yeah, you inebriate exactly. his senses. No, I'm yeah, just saying like, it's it's an unpopular opinion. And look, man, like I say, the analyst in me, I'm fine with winning ugly. I can, I watch enough basketball to know that not every game is going to be aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. However. I just think that that was when Udoka was like, I'm not going to apologize for winning ugly. I'm like, that's fine, but you need to apologize to the people in the crowd, dude, because that was not pretty. Like you were watching a 1990s game. It it really was last night. Last night was, uh, was definitely one of
0: those, those slug fests that, that we were so accustomed to. And, you know, but I, I do think right now, the way that this team is shaping up, the one thing that you can for sure point to in, in Ime Udoka's, uh, Tenure as head coach so far is that he has given this team an identity, and that identity is is to kind of muddy it up, to mucky it up a little bit. And you're going to have a lot of these games, and so I think for now, even as a you know a paying fan that's coming into the TD Garden, you know when you put that money down to a certain degree, Adam, you're signing up because that's what this team is. That's kind of what this team is hanging their hat on is their defensive play, their i their their ability. To make that game ugly, and until we can figure out more consistent offensive, um, you know, potentness, like they're trying to drag another team down into the mud with them. That's 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 the basic plan of attack. Is we haven't figured out our offense, so we're gonna mess up your game plan, bring you down to our level, and we're gonna trust that at a certain point, our our skill set with you know our guys. We have three different guys that can all score. 20 points in a night, that eventually those guys are going to win out in this style of play. And so if you're putting down your hard-earned money to go to the TV Garden, more likely than not, that's kind of what you're signing up for. Yeah. And whether that's a good thing or not, but, the, but at this point, it's, it's kind of known that, that that's probably what you're getting.
1: Yeah, and I'm fine with that. Like, look, man, I'd still, like, I'd still pay to go and watch a game tomorrow. You know what I mean? I'd have no problem with the understanding that that's what I'm walking into. But it doesn't make it any easier to bear. Right? Like, that. that's my outlook on it. Like, there were some good, really good defensive plays. I think some of the adjustments Sudoka made on defense were really good. They kept Embiid at bay for most of the time. Using Cantor's big body against Embiid was obviously something you envisioned. Uh, excuse brave. me, Adam. That's that's Enos' freedom. But what I would say is that, like, on offense, when, when it's not rolling like that, that's, like, when your defense is as stringent as what it has been, you need to get out and run. If your offense, if the ball, if you're not finding your that your shots are falling, if they're not really working for you, then you need to leak out off rebounds. Once you get, as soon as you see Tatum or Freedom or or Horford or whoever pull down a board, somebody needs to be leaking out up the floor. And you talk you said this to me before that before we started recording, like yo, no fast break points in the entire game. Like no one's leaking yeah. out. And if you're off, if the ball's not falling for you, your offense needs to play at a higher pace. Now, someone did make a comment to me on Instagram earlier today, which I thought was a very fair point. Do you think they're conserving their energy on offense because of how much they're exerting on defense to muddy this game up? Are they playing at a slower pace to give themselves a breath because the intensity level of defense is wearing them down as it is? And I hadn't thought about it like that. And I think that's a really fair point. No, I think it's. I think it's actually a very valid point, and one
0: of the things that you know we've pointed out on on this show over the last couple of weeks is the amount of minutes that some of these guys are are putting in, especially the top end guys, where they're playing you know in the thirties just about every single night. You are getting four four guys that are cracking the thirty minute mark, and I know multiple times, especially when you know Jalen Brown was out, that I can remember specifically. Uh, I think we talked about it here, where Dennis Schroeder was 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 visibly gassed at different at different points. And, you know, I, I mean, that absolutely could be part of the case. I mean, if you even think about last night, probably the, the best defensive possession of the night, you know, even though he didn't have a great game was that Jalen Brown defense of, of Joel Embiid in the post where he just he just worked his tail off for a, a full shot clock and then disengaged and got a block at the rim on Tyrese Maxey. Like that, that was one of the best. Decisions. But, but you can imagine how much that takes out of you. On possession and then now guys like you and me who are sitting here in beanies in our offices saying why don't you guys just get out and run more you know like it's it, it's easier said than done especially when that's where the emphasis is being put so i'm not sure who asked you that question but i think it's an extremely fair question it's probably part of this and that's where i think then it it flips back to email a little bit of you know some of his rotations and substitution patterns and the way the minutes are divided up and you know this team does have a little bit more depth. If you want to get guys more minutes, that they have the win, they have the ability to kind of get out and run and do what you need to do on the offensive end. I think if you manage it properly, you can still make that happen and have both worlds work. But right now, especially as we get later into games and you start to pile up those minutes, and especially and later on, it does feel like Ime, especially as we get to you know the fourth quarter, you get to the last seven minutes or so. He typically tends to stick for the most part with a core set of guys, and maybe there's only one person or two guys that are switching out within that time frame. Um, so it's an extremely valid point by that
1: by that individual. Do you think he's running these guys into the ground too early? Like because the, the, these rotations, I get it, a lot of coaches run like an eight to nine-man rotation through the regular season. It's not unheard of. It's quite normal. Yeah, but at the same time, like you build a roster as deep as what like the, what, all I remember, all I keep going back to is how excited we were for the roster's depth during the off season. Right, there was just so much to be excited for, and so many weapons that you could kind of plug and play as and when you need them. And it really does feel like to me that Budoka has his eight or nine guys that he really truly trusts, and anyone on the outside is looking in unless injuries force his hand. And yeah. I just and I'm just like, if you're not going to use some of these guys, move them.
0: Yeah, I've said this with, uh, with our other co-host, Greg, on our other show before, but that there's times where, where Ime feels like. He has a script, and he just kind of sticks to it, and that's kind of unless, like you said, an injury or some you know deep foul trouble, with you know really forces his hand to do something different. It almost feels like when you're when you're playing 2K you don't want to go all the way into the settings and adjust the lineups, and so they just have these automatic substitutions that come in, and then you get you got to hit start, you got to go to the game plan, you got to be like, why are they making this sub? This guy still has a ton of energy, or this guy has zero energy, they won't take him out. And you can't and you can't really get control of it. That's Emei's kind of already got whatever that substitution pattern is input into like the game plan before the game even starts and then just kind of stick with it. And so I think that's part of his evolution as a rookie coach is where, you know, back to something we talked about last podcast, I think he needs to be m- more comfortable with being uncomfortable with a line that maybe isn't what he originally planned, but is dictated by the flow of the game and, you know, and be okay with living with those changes and doing a little bit of uh, experimentation on the fly.
1: Because it's crazy, right? We've gone from an extremely experimental coach in Stevens to one to like somebody that I consider like incredibly rigid yeah. in terms of their approach to the game and their their game management. I feel like Udoka is still learning game management at the moment. To his fairness, so I think he is getting a little better with it.
0: You know, we pointed it out from the Raptors game where he left Cantor, or excuse me, Freedom and um, and Lank, and Romeo in the game towards the end, and that that certainly I don't think seemed to be part of the plan. I'd be very surprised if that was going into it what he expected to happen, especially where, you know, Al Holford was having a great game. He was, he was 17 and 11 that game, but, but it was working with what we had with freedom out there. And that's kind of where the lead got extended. And, you know, last night it, it was a really small thing, a really obvious thing, but putting in Rob to go ahead and defend that inbound pass at the end of the game and then set him up to be in there to go ahead and make that game winning block on that closeout of the to end the game. Like that was, you know, Gotta give him the credit, even when it's small, even when it's something simple, like he did do it. He took the step. You know, acknowledgement is the first step to actually implementing change. And so yeah. I think last night I think the game against Toronto with Freedom and Langford and then last night with Rob, I think those are steps in that process of, of hopefully the continued evolution of, of that skill set for him as a coach.
1: Yeah, and I'd hope so. Look, I'm 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 not against what Udoka's trying to do. Like, I think that there's definitely going to be learning curves. I'd, I'd like a deeper rotation at this point. I'd like a bit more trust shown in the young guys. You know, Romeo has been fantastic recently, and then he gets a DMP out of the blue. Like, what does yeah. that do for a guy's confidence?
0: Uh, yeah, but, that, I mean, here's the thing. And I, and I, I don't love the DNP situationally. You know, and essentially all he did from the, the point of that he has kind of a script. All he did was swap out, you know, Freedom's minutes for Romeo's minutes. Yeah, and, and I get and, that. And trim down Grants because it's the Embiid factor, you know? Like, so, and this is and this is one of the reasons that you have a guy like Enos. You know, it's going to be for these games or, you know, I just saw, you know, Brooke Lopez is getting surgery for the Bucs, but when you play the Bucs and they have Lopez, what would have been Boogie and Giannis, and you just need bigger bodies to throw out there at different times. Like, this is why he has a roster spot. So while I don't love just completely shutting it down, and that's to the point of, Use your depth. Like, you can still find ways to save minutes. JB clearly does not look 100%. Like, save him some minutes and use Romeo
1: for five-minute stretch or, or, or whatever it yeah, might be. Yeah, because my outlook on it was, like, Romeo is the guy that I'd put on shake mm-hmm. because shake went off. Shake came in. He killed us then, in the first quarter.
0: He's, yeah. he's the only reason why the Sixers were still in the game at the end of the
1: first yeah, quarter. Yeah, he, he gave them life. He came in, what was it, 10 points, like, straight off the bat. It something was, like, four like that, or four shooting or something yeah. crazy. Bring Romeo in, stick Romeo on shake. Let's see, like Romeo is arguably your second best perimeter defender on the wing. Be mm-hmm. sort of next to Marcus Smart. You know what I mean? Especially while Jaden's still recovering and like getting his legs under him. So why isn't one of your best wing defenders being brought into the game to, st- to stop a guy that came in and just flipped the narrative of that, that contest to begin with? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that Romeo needed to play big minutes. I'm not saying that Romeo needed to play beyond just locking up Shake Milton and taking him out of his out of his um his rhythm in the, early, in the early quarters. But like you say, you have that depth. If, if Shake Milton's going off on you, regardless if it's 10 points, 15, 20, if someone comes in and they start to flip the script on the narrative and how things are working out on the floor, and you have a piece capable of coming in and shutting them down quick, you need to make that decision, and then yeah. you know once everything kind of settles back down, go back to your script. It's all about being willing to branch off and then find your way back to your, your original plan later down the line. And uh, that I think that's something that we're going to see him develop. Yeah. But uh, you know, and I think I wrote about this last week, and like, I I do think that a lot of us, myself included, expected too much too quickly from Odaka.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, just, just like we talk about, you know, rookies developing or young players developing, he's a first-time head coach. And, you know, not everybody walks into a room and, and becomes Steve Kerr with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green at their disposal. Like, it just doesn't always work like that the first time you're a head coach. You know, I one of the examples I'd love to look at is, you know, I'm going to switch sports here for a second, but you look at Bill Belichick with, with the New England Patriots. He had an un, he he had what would be deemed an unsuccessful first stint as a head coach with the Cleveland Browns before he then obviously found his footing as the greatest football coach of all time, maybe one of the greatest coaches in, in general of all time. You know, so it, it takes time. You know, it, it's not always hey you're a great assistant that automatically means you're going to be a great coach. There's growing pains, there's adjustments, and I just think we're seeing that in live time. And given you know where we came from with Brad Stevens. And I can't remember what podcast it was the other day. I was listening to one where they were, they were throwing it out there with, with absolutely no sources, but just kind of, you know, kicking around for fun. Like, if you're the Kings, how much would you pay Brad Stevens to come be your coach? Because Brad Stevens is a guy that came in and, you know, with a very, you know, poor roster, he took a team that was in a rebuild... They rebuilt for one year and since then have not missed the playoffs. He missed the playoffs that one year with a very, very poor roster. That Marshawn Brooks,
1: dude. I remember Marshall,
0: He turned Jordan Crawford. Jordan Crawford. Not even Jamal Crawford. Jordan Crawford into a player of the week. Might have even been a multi-time player of the week. I, I could be I could be tripping on that, so I need, I need to look that up. But I know for a fact he turned him into a player of the week and – you know what I mean like, like like he did he got guys paid Evan Turner got paid Kelly Olinick got paid you can go down the list there's a bunch of guys that got paid because of the way Brad Stevens coached them and utilized them and it doesn't always work immediately like that so in that respect we do need to continue to to give Eme a little bit of slack but seeing progress throughout the season is also part of that as well and I'm hoping that this is where we're trending with him
1: yeah i mean for me it's like You can't expect somebody, like you're saying, you can't expect somebody to come in with, and I I do think it's kind of hard as well, coming into a roster that's been together as long as this one has, right? At least least the core, yeah. Yeah, you're looking at like Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jaden Brown, technically Al Horford, if you really want to put him in there, I wouldn't, but you could. Romeo, Neesmith, so many of these guys have came into the NBA and only known Brad Stevens. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then they're, they're close. And then now you're coming in as the new guy. And it's different when you, you know, like um, if you look at the Lakers when Vogel came in, they'd just made a bunch of trades that year. So it was a new roster with a new coach. And when you're a coach coming in and you're a first-time head coach, but the guys you're going to be coaching have been together three, four, five, six years, playing a very, very specific style of basketball. And for one coach, they've only ever heard that one voice in the locker room. And Marcus Smart said this, I don't know if anyone heard the quote, but Marcus Smart was like, imagine you went to school for your job, got a degree in your job, and then all of a sudden one day you get a new boss that's like, hey, we're going to do things this way, but you've never studied for it this way, you don't know how to do it this way, you're not going to get it straight away. And I think that Udoka walking in with all his own ideas, his own coaching staff, that can't have been easy for him to integrate himself into a position of respect. And now he's trying to implement stuff that these guys have never done before on a basketball court. It's new. A lot of this is new to the entire roster. Like, it, it, there's a reason it's ugly.
0: Yeah, and, and honestly, I, I just thought of this now, and I, and I don't really bring this up to, to try and start any type of, like, fake controversy. But to your point, along with that, the guy whose voice you've been hearing, he's still in the building. You know what I mean? So it's hard not to think of, you know, in, in the example you gave, you get, you know, a new teacher in there, but that teacher that that is no longer your main teacher is just sitting in the back of the class, observing, giving notes to the new teacher. So there's part of you that's still, you know, maybe in the back of your mind thinking, well, this isn't how we do it. This is how we used to do it, right? And then you can kind of turn around and you can ask, like, hey, excuse me, Mr. Stevens, could you tell Mr. Udoka that this is, this is actually how, how we've done it for the past? five, six, seven years, depending yeah. on, you know, who you're talking to. And so, I don't know, like, I, I'm completely speculating, not saying there's a rift, but it is interesting to think about that being, you know, something in your subconscious that, you know, making that adjustment when there's still that, you know, that, that look at the past
1: that's still right there and in your face and is very actively in the building. And uh, that's a really, like, I haven't thought about that point before. And that's really true. Like, you've got your predecessor who's now your boss. And that I, I do what do you think? And Stevens doesn't strike me like this, man, but like I, I think there must be times where Stevens is watching, like, I would have done this differently, and then maybe and you know, and then if yeah, he feels
0: very hands off, but it's hard not to think that this is human nature, right? Yeah, especially yeah, I mean, when I'm you're that close to the situation.
1: I'm not saying he speaks on it, I don't think he goes yeah, up yeah. to Udoka after the game and be like, Yo, you did XYZ wrong, listen to yeah. me, I've been there, but I genuinely do believe that. There must be a part of him that's like, was he going 8-D? <laughs>
0: you know
1: what I mean? like Yeah. And I and I get it. I do. And that must be tough for Udoka as well. I just think that Udoka, It's an interesting the, dynamic. Oh, for sure, dude. And the situation that Udoka walked into and kind of found himself in, that mustn't have been easy. And then, like, for the players, from the player side of it, maybe the reason that we're seeing so many ugly games is these guys are still learning how to play Udoka's way. And I think that's a lot harder on offense. Because the defensive end of things is still very similar to early Brad Stevens, you know what I mean? It's very switch heavy. Like they switch one through four, let the five drop, or they'll push the You know, depending on who's there, they'll switch the bigs onto the perimeter a little bit. Like we've seen the Celtics defend like this before multiple times. This just seems a little bit more, like because of the rule changes specifically, a little bit more of a physical defense this year. But on offense, that's where all the changes have been made. That's where they're running. Uh, I hate to say it, but more of an NBA type of offense, where it was Stevens was very much like a a collegiate hybrid, which I think is the reason Stevens was so effective, because he ran stuff that coaches hadn't really seen in the NBA. But now these players are having to adjust to, you know, like but like we said earlier, it doesn't feel like their offense is very designed outside of the first possession in the first, the first possession in the third, and a couple of ATOs. Everything else is just kind of like, let's just throw a load of stuff at the wall. Whatever yeah. sticks, we'll run it once or twice, then we'll just never do it again.
0: And I was watching the uh, the Suns-Warriors game the other day. Now, obviously, these are the two best teams in the league right now, record-wise. And watching their offenses flow versus what you know we've watched this year, levels, bro. There is just levels to this game when you watch the way that those two teams operate on offense. And they're both high-level defenses to, to, on top of it. And so you have just, I mean, e- even with Devin Booker getting hurt, even Steph Curry having, you know, one of the worst games, not just of his season, of his career, watching those two teams in such a high-level chess match with the the ball movement, the defensive, um, you know, IQ to try and match up with it, it was just beautiful basketball. And then I look at last night's game with the Sixers and Celtics and juxtapose the two, and it, it almost feels like it's, it's like I'm watching – you know, D one versus D two level, you know, college basketball or something like it was. It was. It was really stark the contrast of how different worlds those two games lived in.
1: And it's crazy, like because it, when the Celtics play against these guys, you're right. We're probably going to see the Celtics do everything they can to drag these teams into a dogfight, and I think that's going to like a. Uh, You are right, you know, you're you're basically, every game you're playing, you're giving someone a heart check, you're you're, you're G-checking people, you're seeing who's got the heart to really fight in the trenches each game. But is that really the best way to develop Jalen Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? Is that really beneficial to them? It's definitely beneficial to them long term, because guess what? In the playoffs, you're going to get dragged into the trenches. That's going to happen. But there needs to be more. And again, I still come back to the pace, I come back to the off-ball movement that I've harped on about endlessly and relentlessly. But then, like you do, look at some developments that are happening right now. Like I wrote about this today, so yesterday by the time everyone's listening to this, Marcus Smart is developing into an exceptional playmaker. You know what I mean? He's had eight assists at three, three out of the last five games, yeah, or something like that. He's he's really like dictating play without being too much of a ball hug or really forcing things. He's um, do you know what? While, while he's on the floor, he assists on twenty three point five percent of made baskets. I can
0: see That's, that. I mean, he's, he's been he's a been great, dude. He's been he's been great. I think he had a slow start to the season not even a slow start. He had a rough stretch of about three or four games in in the middle of the season. And if you take that out, like I'm looking at it right now, over his last fifteen games, he's six and a half assists to only one point eight turnovers. So that's a ratio that I am very happy to live with. And you saw, you know, you talked about the few sets that we do get from the Celtics that are very identifiable that that have you know, a, a tangible result, and it's been some of those, you know, first possessions. That pass that he made on that alley oop to Lob Williams at the start of the game was a thing of beauty. Like Marcus Smart has, has, is, is on a, one of the better stretches of his career right now, in my opinion. If not the best stretch, I mean, the shooting's yeah, is terrible. Be. I mean, the, the shooting, shooting that, that, is that, awful. That, That's why I say one of, you know, what I mean, it's the, the shooting needs to be better, but that's not an only him problem. You can point to four different guys in the Celtics. The shooting just needs to be better. That's, that's just, that's just something that, that it is.
1: What do you think that is, man? For the shooting, yeah,
0: I mean these guys just aren't great shooters. That's what I think it is. But you know, say for Jason Tatum, I don't, I don't know, what, I don't know what that will be. Although he had a solid, he had a decent night shooting last night. But overall, I mean, I think that that's just it is what it is. You have a a set of guys that you know, e- even Al Horford, who's you know, he's shooting under twenty nine percent this year. He shot thirty seven percent last year at a higher volume. You know, he he's one guy who I would really think should be shooting better, as good as he's been. Everywhere else, it's probably the one thing that you could ask a little bit more from him. But you look at you know the guys that are being left open for shots for the most part are going to be Marcus Smart, going to be Dennis Schroeder, going to be Josh Richardson. All of them for their career are are low thirties to mid thirty shooters. You know what I mean? Like it's it's, it's just guys that aren't that they're, they're they've gotten to the point where they're respectable. But if you look at this team and you say, okay, am I going to Pack the paint against Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, or am I in defer to shots to those three? You're gonna do that every time. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're just going to do that every time. And then when you think of, you know, why are Romeo and Grant, the young guys that are succeeding, part of that is they're both shooting over 40% from three. That's part of the big reason of their success is that they've been a rely, they've been making reliable shots from the outside. And that's why you see them getting more minutes. That's why you see their ratings. When you look at them as how they pair with different people on the floor, they're actually providing true spacing and limited opportunities and in limited minutes. But they're actually providing that that for this team. And, you know, it just that's just kind of the way it works. And that's where I think this team still needs a true shooter, which probably means sacrificing somebody in the rotation to go out and make that deal. I don't know who that's gonna be or, or what happens, but that's something that I think this team is going to have to do at at some point and I think could really change the season.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, like um name that comes to my mind if the if the Trail Blazers decide they're selling or they're, you know, they're looking to move on from PCs, Norman Powell will be a fantastic addition. Ooh, I would love Norman Powell. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know if he'll be
0: available. To, my gut, I was just watching um, uh, KOC from The Ringer had a great video today um, about what the Blazers can do. And I've been big on this for a while. He, he was talking about it in the video. I think they're the prime candidate. Speaking of the Sixers who were playing last night, you know I think they're the prime candidate for some form of a C.J. McCollum for Benson and swap, sprinkle in, figure out the details of what you need to do. But that's the main package of it. And so I think for me, Powell's kind of their insurance policy, along with Anthony Simons, of if we need to move on from C.J., how do we keep our offensive power but improve our yeah. defense? So I think that would be the one,
1: that would be the hard part to, to pull Powell out of out of Portland. Yeah, I mean, they only, when they only acquired him, was it last year? Was it last season? season four, I think, yeah, it was right? like, we played him in the bubble. He was on the Raptors in the
0: bubble when yeah, we played so him. So last year they acquired It was last year. But I love I that thought think, process, love Powell. Yeah,
1: that's the type of guy that I'd be looking for, right? Somebody that can shoot off movement, that can spot up, that can handle the ball some. Um, you know, Powell's just a an excellent example of the type of guy yeah. you go for. Um I do think as well, like when you're saying these guys aren't great shooters and I wanted your opinion on this just to try and create a little bit of a dynamic, a dialogue here. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I agree. I think that a large part of it is these guys just aren't talented enough at shooting the free ball. But I also think that maybe they're being asked to shoot the free ball in ways that doesn't fit their style of play, right? Like we constantly say that Smith is a better movement shooter. When he gets minutes, they're asking him to spot up. You know, it's apples and oranges, but it really does make a difference. Marcus Smart is better when he steps into a three than when he kind of shoots off the catch. Mm-hmm. Um, who else would we be talking about here? Uh, Grant's perfect as a spot-up shooter. Yep. Romeo is developed as a spot-up shooter. Um, I think that Jay Rich is somebody that's better off the dribble than what he is off the catch. And Absolutely. it's just like, and I think that you know, a large part of the Celtics' offense at the moment is create open shots, hit a guy and ask him to shoot off the catch. And if your rhythm doesn't come just from catching the ball in the shooting pocket and raising up and firing away, if that's not how you generate your personal rhythm, then no matter how talented a scorer you are, I know these guys aren't talented scorers, but just for the argument's sake, Mm -hmm. shooting out of your comfort zone is never going to end well long term. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of my thought process as well. Like, Is there something you can do to, to get Romeo shooting off screens? Is there something you can do to get... You know, set a drag screen for Marcus Smart so he steps in as he receives the ball and shoots mm-hmm. off like stepping into it. I think that those little changes, those subtle tweaks that are really easy to implement, could be the difference from the Celtics shooting 30, 28 to 30% as a team from three in a game to 38 to 40%. Just little sort of tweaks at getting guys the ball where they feel the most comfortable.
0: Yeah. And that comes all the way back to, you know, utilizing the assets that you do have on this roster and putting them in the position to succeed. And that's where we talk about, you know, why aren't we running more set plays? Why aren't we running more ATOs? Why is there not more structure to this offense? To your point, put those players in the positions in which give them the highest chance to succeed. You know, we're 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 probably. I mean, I think it's a great call out that we're we're more so running offense that is to the detriment of what our players on the on the court are actually
1: good at, and that that's probably one of the bigger issues with this team right now. Yeah, which goes back into you know, you're not getting guys shots where they're comfortable. Like I feel like at the moment, a big kind of like cloud hanging over Udoka's head is a lot of people are like, "Hey, Tatum was good. You got Tatum. Now Tatum's bad." you know and I feel,
0: like, <laughs> which is which isn't entirely fair to doka, but yeah yeah yeah, I yeah it's not it's not fair but i've
1: seen these takes around you know like i do see them and i'm like man and then like sometimes i'll buy on a take like that and i'll be like i want your reasoning and i'm like i don't want your reasoning because you might sell me on this so i'm not going to get involved but like uh, when i'm like i'm you, like you've been, uh, you've been talking to the same people as tim bontemps Nah, no. Nah, I wish. I wish <laughs> I had those contacts, dude. I mean, I mean, even Tatum said Brad Stevens said those were ridiculous comments. Tatum yeah. made a bit of a joke about it in the post game yesterday. Did you see? I did see that.
0: Yeah, because that... they, they were asking about the ISO Dennis at the uh, at the end of the game.
1: Yeah, it's like I, that people said I was a selfish player. It seems city unself- pretty <laughs> unselfish to me. I mean, I don't blame Udoka for any of this. You know, guys go through scoring slumps. Guys have bad shooting nights. Guys have bad shooting seasons. Mm-hmm. I do think that udoka's put a very large emphasis on tatum working out of the mid to low post and working around the rim and i feel like that's kind of threw his timing off a little bit maybe but udoka's not responsible for this right
0: yeah i mean i yeah that's so the the tatum shooting stuff is definitely in my mind you know maybe a little bit of what you're saying put it put it more in the low post and mid post throws off his timing a little bit but ultimately we've both watched enough of Jason Tatum that he's just missing a lot of shots that that he normally makes. Like I think there's enough enough that you can just look at that. You can just look at watch a game and be like, Oh, I've seen him hit that shot and he just missed it. You know, and for whatever it is, it's, I I think it's a streak that that will fit that will figure itself out. I think there's too much evidence that it, you know, it's frustrating, but it kind of is what it is. And I think eventually over time, it will even out. Uh, But, you know, just speaking of Jason Tatum right now, the dirty little secret is he's gotten a lot better in a lot other areas of his game. Oh, man! And last night, career high, 16 rebounds. Are you kidding me? Like, in the fact that he broke his career high, which was set earlier this year, of 15 rebounds. I think he had about nine of them last night at the half. You know, that's, that's the thing is that w- when you look at Jason Tatum right now and, and you try to judge him on this first quarter of the season – it feels more negative than maybe it really is because of the shooting, because once the shooting comes along, Jason Tatum could have some very, very scary numbers. And, you know, from what we've learned over the last especially three years of Jason Tatum is that throughout each year, he's got about a 20 game heater in him where he just goes scorched earth. And there's still 60 games left in the season, so I wouldn't be surprised if we get a scorched earth run from Jason Tatum at some point in the season that now coincides with his additional rebounding and his additional playmaking abilities.
1: Yeah, I tweeted it out, man. I said, man, at the end of the day, I'm waiting for post-All-Star break to hit Tatum. That's when he statistically and pretty much you know unequivocally raises his game to another level after the All-Star game. All right usually when he's selected as an all-star which isn't
0: uh it's really weird how that works i mean it, yeah. it's, it's been the case the last two years it, it, so i don't I know the first year it was something that he even openly talked about being like a monkey on his back almost like people yeah. expected the world from him. he dunked on lebron in game seven year two was a was a little bit of a i don't even want, i don't know if it was a regression it was certainly stagnated you know and so it was like where is this guy that we thought was the next coming and you know, I wonder if right now maybe he's feeling a little bit of that. But if he can get back to, I don't, know, maybe that maybe that validation of the All Star nod, um, which right now I would still expect him to to probably get. i have, to, I haven't really thought about All Star selections yet, but no, you know, I, I mean, maybe maybe that will set him off. Maybe it will. I know. Hopefully.
1: <laughs> I mean, the other thing is, is one, and I think I spoke to you about this before. One of the things that I think that's getting to him as well is the pressure of being the guy. Like yeah. he's been the guy. For a while, but he he could hide behind Kyrie. He had Haywood that was kind of there with him to guide him. Then he had Kemba last year. Now it's very much like you are the guy. Like if you don't play well, we don't do well. That's just the way it's gonna be. If you don't play well and Jalen's not feeling good, then unfortunately, buddy, the team's not gonna look great. That's a lot of pressure, man.
0: Yeah, and and I think even, you know, last year. I think last year there was some of that pressure, but there was the default, ah, man, well, Kemba's no longer Kemba, so that's kind of like, yeah. you know, just just go do you, and there's not really a ton of expectation. We just expect, like, we, we expect you to, 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 to be great, but not to bring the team to greatness, whereas this year kind of revamped a lot of talk of, hey, you and Jalen, you're the pillars, like you said to your point, no more Kemba, no more Gordon, no more... You know, um, Kyrie. He brought back Al, but we know Al's not the same. He's not the same All Star guy that that he was when when Tatum was first drafted. He's he's much more of a complimentary piece. This is your team. This is you and Jalen's team right now. And on top of that, we're filling this out by giving you. You now have a guy in Lob Williams. You got a contract extension. You now have all defensive. You know, Marcus Smart with a contract extension. You have that complementary piece in Al Horford. You have and established, you know, rotation guys, and Dennis Schroeder and Josh Richardson, guys on the rise, like, your, your, your cupboard's not barren. You have pieces to work with. And so now we expect your greatness to take this team to another level if you're going to be a top 10 NBA guy. You know, I think right now, people probably put him somewhere in that 15, 17 range. If you're going to take that next step, which is one of the hardest ones to take to get around that top 10 and crack that top 10, you need to take, you know, a team that, with its own, with whatever flaws they
1: have, and you need to be that guy that takes them to the next level, and that that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, I mean, you need to be able to say that you know the Celtics jumped on Tatum's back towards a game seven in the second round, and the reason they were there was because Tatum carried them from game mm-hmm. one of the first round all the way through. Yeah, and that's when you can be like, right now we can start talking about Tatum as a top ten guy. Exactly. You know what I mean? And uh, he's just, I just, I think that, mate, is he there yet? I just don't know. Uh, I think we'll find out this year. And I think next year will be the true measurement of, mm-hmm. I think next year for me is the year where I start to say to myself, he he needs to show something new for me to think he's going to make that jump at all. Because then you've carried the team for a year. You've had your learning experiences. You've developed under the way Udoka's been playing. You've had a second offseason training the way Udoka wants you to train in a second training camp. Now can you bring it, right? This year, yeah. to me, is a transition year. I genuinely believe that. I think we spoke about that during yeah, offseason as This is, this as is well. a year of
0: promise. This is the year of, okay, I know 100%. And I think that some of this applies to Jalen Brown as well. And really probably more so it applies to them together as a as a basketball couple that this is where you're investing all your chips, that this is definitively where we're going and that you two are are truly the pillars of what we have foundationally going forward and that there doesn't need to be some type of adjustment. I, I think that's what, what this year is more than anything else.
1: I think that's a good place to leave it, man. Sounds good to me. (laughs) Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. Everybody, if you're listening, I hope you have a great weekend. I hope you have a great rest of your Friday. If you're listening on an Apple device, you know where I'm going with this. Scroll down, hit that follow button. It says follow now. Hit those five stars. Write something nice. Make me smile. Make Will smile. If you use Spotify and it's been showing you your own rap for the year and we're in your podcast top five, Share that, man. Make me smile. Make Will smile. We want to see that. Yeah, please
0: tag me in that. I'd love to see that.
1: At WillBond13. Please, please tag me. That'd be so lovely for my Friday. I'd really enjoy that. And then if you are using Spotify, obviously you cannot leave a review. So my boy here, Will, is going to tell you what to do. Yeah. Make sure you're talking to your barista.
0: Talk to your bartender. Talk to your pizza guy. Talk to your uh, Chinese food delivery guy. Talk to anybody that you come across on the street. Word of mouth is a very valuable way for us to go ahead and get the, the good word of the Celtics Blog Podcast out there. So we appreciate each and every individual y'all hit up for us.
1: And with that, we will bid you a farewell until Monday when it will be myself and Greg. And if Will's free, it'll be a free man wave. Who knows? We might even make it happen. Until then, we'll hope everybody has a good weekend. Stay safe. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Deuces. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating you're
0: repenting Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the